2: fans, This is Chris McShane uh, filling in for Brian in his role that he typically uh, does on a week-by-week basis. He's off this week. Uh, given the way things have gone, maybe he you know, can continue to be off. <laughs> <laughs> and, and joining me is Allison McCaig. Um, she's been on the podcast once before, the edition that we recorded at the ARG uh, a few weeks back, a couple months back really at this point. So, wow. Allison, how's it going?
3: Pretty good. How about you, Chris? How you been since the ARG?
2: Uh, good. Cold. Um, I did go to spring training in the uh, the weekend after that.
3: Oh, yeah. Yeah. So you did experience some warm weather. That's nice.
2: Yeah. Three three days of sun and warmth and all the good things that, that come with that and then back to reality. Um, yeah. But yeah, things are good. Yeah. It's been a little while since I've been uh, on this half of the co-hosting duties, uh, but yeah. yeah, Brian, Brian's uh, getting some warmth right now himself. And I'm not usually a superstitious guy, but it, we know if the Mets uh, take a turn for the worst record-wise, starting on Monday, uh, we can blame him.
3: Yeah, we know who to blame. We know who to point the finger at.
2: But uh, but yeah, things have gone uh, exceedingly well. Um,
3: yeah, I'm not used to this feeling. I'm not used to this feeling at all.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, it's. Uh, it, you, I'm, I'm trying to think in terms of April, good feelings. Last year certainly didn't have it, but by the end of April,
3: no. oh no, we, not good.
2: Yeah, but um, the what was it? The 11 game winning streak.
3: Yeah, couple yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. or three years ago was in was in April. That um, was in April. So that that was kind of like a, a rare. Um, high point that happens early in the season and obviously that season went on to have higher points later in the year but april a lot of times feels like kind of a slog um even if the team ends up doing well so to to get off to a 5 and one start i'm in a very good place i'm very proudly wearing a mets uh, winter hat because of the temperature
3: yeah (laughs) i've been sporting my home run beanie a lot later in the season than i usually do
2: Oh nice. Yeah, I uh I still do not have one of those. I, I I don't know. I have I haven't gotten it on the uh the craze. Did it, is it like easier to get one now? Do they still I would do say like so, small yeah, batch? But,
3: yeah, they do, but I I they may not do one for a while now that it is like purportedly warm, but it's not actually warm.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I I feel like I see them around a little bit more. So
3: I got stopped in the brewery. So I live in Baltimore, for those of you that aren't aware. Um, so I got stopped. I was at a local brewery like a couple weeks ago. And I got stopped because I was wearing my, my beet, my home run apple beanie. And I got stopped by someone who was like, oh, my God, let's go Mets, the seven line. And I was like, wow, you know the seven line? And they were like, yeah my boyfriend's a huge Mets fan and I was, you meet them everywhere these days. It's like really, it makes me really happy whenever I run into someone who like recognizes a shirt I have or recognizes a hat and it's like, yeah, Harvey or something like that. It's really great.
2: Yeah. Yeah, no, that that's, uh, it's always a plus, And especially not being in town, uh, e- even in New York city, sometimes I feel like when you get into those stretches that people are happy to acknowledge your Mets, whatever, uh, it's it a is good nice. feeling.
3: It is nice. To not uh, feel like you have to hide yourself.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, it's uh, it, it, we're in a good place, and I guess just starting off, um, who's been the player that has stood out to you over these first six games? Um, you know, on the hitting side, I guess we'll start with.
3: I mean, Suspendus. It's it's almost no contest. Like Cespedes is on absolute fire and he's hitting majestic bombs already and at a prodigious pace. And it just makes me so elated.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's... uh, it, The whole tone of this is like, all right, it's, you know, it's April 5th. Uh, they've had a great week. We know there's a long way to go. But, like, those good April feelings and Cespedes hitting a home run like he did in Washington today... Yeah. You know, oh it brings God. back good memories. Uh, we've, we've seen him really hurt the nationals there before.
3: Absolutely. And he is, I mean, whether he is on is pretty much, we know, and we've seen it's the difference maker for this offense. This offense looks completely different when he's either a injured or b just not, not seeing the ball well at the plate. Um, it's, like I know that like you don't want to ever put too much stock in one player and say that he's the difference between the Mets being good and the Mets being bad, but it's not just his presence in the lineup; it's the way the dynamic changes. You can like you can almost feel it in the air when Cespedes is on that our offense now to- in totality becomes a threat because he is on.
2: Yeah, yeah, that, and that's uh, you know I, I get it because of the way that last year went, but it kind of felt like people came into this season not really uh, remembering what kind of yeah. player he could be.
3: Yeah.
2: and What like, kind
3: of a player healthy Suspidus is, because we, we dealt with so much of him being on and off the field last year, and I felt like even when he was on, he wasn't 100% healthy, and he wasn't in a groove because he wasn't able to stay on the field for that long at a time, and it was just – it was just frustrating and it felt like everything was deflated because he wasn't there. But if he can maintain this level of health (laughs) and production, then I am a lot more optimistic than I would have been.
2: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, he, he's, he's hit three home runs, he's driven in seven, he's scored six. Um, you know, he's had his strikeouts, but for sure. That uh, it, it's not a huge part of his game for a power hitter. He's he's had that pretty well under control over the last few years, and really over his career, um, it, it was never super high. He's just gotten a little bit better and a little bit better at it. Um, and I don't know. It, it like we're in such a good place that I feel like even uh, the TV booth, who we love, but sometimes yeah. you know they have their things that they like to um, come back to on a frequent basis. Like that's not. Uh, a, a topic of negativity on, <laughs> on right. a daily basis. Um, right.
3: That's a nice change of pace. <laughs> and like, I don't know, it's just, it, it ha- you mentioned that strikeouts have not been a huge, huge thing for him compared to other power hitters. And I've noticed even during, during his time with the Mets, how his pitch selectivity has improved at the plate. And that's been really, really impressive to watch. Um, to watch him be able to get his pitch to drive and really just murder
2: baseballs. <laughs> yeah and you know it's uh we, we've talked about it a lot in past episodes and it's been written about and everything but the path he took to get to the Mets was fairly unique obviously mm, yeah you know just getting to the United States and Major League Baseball was the the largest obstacle um, you know but it's strange for people to see guys who figure it out. Uh, in their 30s and he's still relatively young um, yeah yeah but guys who you know figure it out in their 30s and still have the physical tools to go with what they've learned and adjusted to uh, in the highest level of baseball that there is uh, in the world so it, you know it's very and exciting I think it's safe- oh no go ahead
3: I think it takes a special level of dedication too, and I think it speaks to you know. I think it pushes back against that against that narrative that people that people try to draw about Cespedes and the fact that he's lazy, a diva, not dedicated, like the the things that are written about him in the press and have been and the things that have followed him from other teams to New York. And it's just you know when you think about things like this that go on behind the scenes that fans don't even appreciate on the day to day, even when he's on and hitting well and things like that. Like the fact that he's made these adjustments at the highest level, it shows that he's absolutely not that person he's been made out to be and that he's, you know, constantly working hard to be better.
2: Yeah. And, you know, he goes out there when they have the press conference just before the season begins, uh, speaks English at the press conference, takes questions in English, uh, all of that, and a player not choosing to do that is never something they should be criticized for. But you know, it is worthy of praise when a guy gets up there and is willing to do that in a language that isn't his native language. Um, you know, and I think for sure. that that was a small thing, and I think it probably it it's possible that it matters to some, you know, media members or fans, maybe a little more than it should. But little things like that, um, you know, he does that and he goes out and he destroys uh, everything at the plate for the first week of the season. Everybody remembers like, oh, yeah, we love this guy.
3: Yeah, exactly. Like, I love Cespedes. I have nothing bad to say about him. But I think that type of thing, you know, taking the press conference in English, that type of thing spreads to a clubhouse. And I mean, we saw Ahmed Rosario give interview during spring training in English, too, and he was really praised by the booth for doing that. Not that like, you know, it, like you said, it matters more to some media members or members of the booth or whomever than it does to others. But, you know, they were really excited to talk to him in English and his English is a little further behind than Cespedus because he's not been speaking it for as long, but like it, you could tell he was really trying and you got to wonder if that is, you know, hashtag veteran presence. A little bit.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, that... One of the favorite phrases in the comment section I'd say <laughs> in the history of the site. Um always a source. And a reminder that um for those of you who, who frequent that area or fan posts or, or anything, we have to uh come up with some Photoshop contests because those are really uh they're fun. They're a big part of the oh my
3: goodness, yes.
2: AAOP, but it you know, it's not the only thing that goes into that, so um, you know, we don't have R.A. Dickey around anymore to, uh, you know, to be the basis of this sort of thing. But I don't know. We'll we'll try to come up with something.
3: A, a presence Photoshop contest. That'd yes, be, <laughs> that'd be
2: excellent. Um. So yeah, just shifting a little bit uh, on the pitching side. Uh, Anthony Suarez got hurt. I, I guess I, we should have just cleared the bad news out of the way. Um, yeah you know spring training he he has the calf thing come up in his first appearance uh doesn't set him back too badly but he comes back gets ready is ready for opening day he goes out and it's his it was his second appearance i i think if my memory is correct here yes yes yeah that you know he's he's pitching and then uh goes out with a with an oblique injury and i guess to their credit the mets didn't wait too long uh it seemed obvious that they should have probably put him on the dl Right away, yeah, the next morning. But they only played short for one game. Uh, It is the only game they lost, but that wasn't really why they lost it. Um,
3: No, no, not particularly.
2: So you know, and then the they get snowed out on Monday. It doesn't come back to really bite them too much, but uh, but yeah, Hansel Robles is the guy who got called up. Um, That was not
3: surprisingly good so far.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, so he's capable of that. It's just when does he,
3: you know, exactly.
2: if you could try to pinpoint the moment, uh, you know, to to go with the Simpsons here, uh, that his season is about to break in half, uh, you'd be in a much better place because it always happens, you know, it's right. the guy can do a sub two ERA for two weeks, three weeks, sometimes a month, and then it's just like okay, uh, here's a couple walks and a couple home runs. And then it stays that way for a while. And it is, you know, it's as streaky as a pitcher can get.
3: Exactly. And I almost find like, and I'm admittedly one of the biggest Robles skeptics out there. um, And I'm so pleased to be proven wrong so far. Um, But it's, it's almost, and I think this is what makes me frustrated with Robles because it's almost more frustrating to watch that than it is to just watch a guy guy and the long um which we've watched before too um but it's 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 frustrating when you see a guy that shows such flashes of ability and like such stretches of looking unhittable and then all of a sudden he just forgets how to pitch it's very frustrating
2: <laughs> yeah 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 it is i mean you know it's just uh, a couple of appearances, but right now he has like an 86% K rate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Let's keep that up over a
0: 162 games. season.
2: Yeah. So, yeah, it's uh, – I don't know. It, the, the spot that people are most worried about right now in the pitching staff uh, has been a pleasant surprise. It, you know, it's one of the factors that goes into just like, wait, is this – like this all feels a little too good.
3: Yeah. And it's kind of like, do we have bullpen depth now? This is a new feeling because I think, I mean, you know, I think a big part of that has been the starting pitching outside of Vargas, who we should be getting back pretty soon, being pretty healthy so far. And that trickles down to the bullpen. Um, and the presence of Robert Gizelman and Seth Lugo in the bullpen has been an extremely solidifying presence so far in the, in this early season, they have both performed exceptionally well. Um, and that has been one of the, I think really one of the bright spots on the pitching staff so far has been Gizelman and Lugo being lights out from the
2: pen. Oh yeah, for sure. And, uh, not that we have to make a choice, but if you had to go with one, you know, say you needed, uh, let's just say you needed three innings in mm-hmm. a tight game. Uh, it's a very tiny sample of work that they've both, both got so far, but who are you going with out of those two uh, right now?
3: Um, as far as like who I need for three innings, I favor I favor Lugo, I think. Um, I think that, that he's, he, he has utilized his ex, what we already know is his excellent curve um, exceptionally well so far. And he said that he's going to increase his usage of that pitch. Um, and I like the fact that they are increasing the usage of that pitch from him. Um, and I think that it you know, given the fact that he, there is some injury concern surrounding him with his partially torn UCL, I do think he is very suitable for the long man role. Um, especially if he mixes up his pitches more and utilizes that curve more, which is the new research is showing is a little less strenuous on the arm than, you know, throwing lots of like heaters all the time. Um, so I think in that situation, I favor Lugo, but I do think um, gazelleman could become, you know, I've seen, I, I've seen lots of Andrew Miller comparisons thrown about. Um, and I mean, it's a little too early to make that call, I think, but um, it's, it's you know it's not entirely unwarranted because he's thrown so well, and I think that you know if you want to convert him into a true like one or two inning shutout guy in the in the eighth inning, then I think that that's a that could be a job for gazelleman in the future,
2: yeah, yeah, and you know it's I like that answer because the easy answer I think is gazelleman and it might even be mine just because. Uh, you know, even going back to looking at the top of the, uh, the starting rotation going into the season, uh, I might have a tendency to fall in love with stuff, mm-hmm. uh, you know, cause sure. so Elman throwing like he did in 2016 with this 95 mile an hour sinker that moves, uh, you know, it, it's, it's very exciting, but that's all a really good point about Lugo in terms of the, the longer outing. Um, and you know, right now we're, we're in a spot that we've been a little bit spoiled, but. That kind of outing can be so valuable if a team, you know, well, not a team, if the Mets are, you know, say three, four, five innings into the game and down less than three runs or three three runs or less. Uh, You know, and like it's very easy to map out this dream scenario where, hey, every time we have a lead and the the pitch count is high on the starting pitcher, uh, you know, this guy, one of these two can come in and bridge that. But if Lugo can give you, uh, you know, that kind of three inning appearance when you're down a run or two, uh, you know, that gives you a huge opportunity to get back in the game.
3: For sure. For sure. Yeah. And I just think that like if I'm going to pick one or the other of the two to just air it out for an inning, that's where I really like his element stuff because he's clearly got the stuff to be able to become, you know, a, an elite relief pitcher potentially. Um, but I think that Lugo is more the guy that I trust to go three innings to pick up a starter who's, you know, either been knocked out early or, um, you know, his pitch counts just really high, or, you know, we're worried about injury concerns with pretty much all of our rotation. So, um, you know, making sure that their innings don't, you know, climb too high so early in the season, you know, I think that utilizing both of them. Um, it, out of the pen has been, you know, exceptionally valuable, and I think that that's going to be almost a key to the success of the team, is if we can continue to have one to two starters, whoever they may be, um, in the pen throughout the season to be able to provide that sort of um, depth. I think is really useful.
2: Yeah, our Astros. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Brad Peacock uh, being one good example of a guy who was very valuable in both roles last year. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it's still possible uh, that we could see Lugo start a game. Uh, (laughs) One of the things, you know, you look at injuries that the Mets have had, and uh, it's very rare to be in a spot. And we'll we'll touch a little more on uh, Conforto in a minute. But, you know, Conforto comes back really early. Uh, You know, Montero had... or. I don't even know if he had it yet, but Montero needs Tommy John surgery, right? So, I think he
3: did have it already, but I'm, yeah. I don't remember either.
2: Yeah, that, it would make sense. Um, but, you know, that that was the major injury that happened. Swarzak has the oblique thing that is probably a month, um, you know, give or take. Uh, and then Jason Vargas had the freak injury with the line drive hitting his glove hand, and it's just been a weird way that it's been framed that like, oh no, no, he's he'll he'll be right back. He's coming back soon, but he still can't catch a baseball that's thrown back to him by a catcher.
3: And he still has his stitches in. It's like, well, okay.
2: (laughs) Which is like, it's fine. It's great that he can still go out and throw and, you know, he can work out. He can throw with his, his pitching arm and do all that. So he's not going to be, uh, you know, needing a month of a rehab assignment and having to start right. from, from scratch. So that's all good. So I get why they're not like, Oh no, no, he's gone uh, for a long time, but you, you keep hearing like, he's going to be back in the, you know, the next turn. And it just, I'm like, that doesn't sound realistic. Um,
3: yeah, but if mean, that- we're lucky enough that if he doesn't, then we have a couple of options, which is really, really nice. But you know, given the, like, if we have to move Giselman or Lugo to the rotation for a brief period, um, that does, you know, given the Suarezak injury, thin our pen depth a little bit. Um, but, you know, very early on, at least, you know, that's the most of our problems.
2: Right, yeah. And I, uh, you know, I kind of wonder, Zach Wheeler sees all of this going on. And I don't think the fact that he's in Vegas is solely because he's not really into pitching out of the bullpen. Yeah. But there's got to be a part of him that's thinking, Hey, that could be my path to be back on the major league team. uh You know, the fastest way and whether Vargas ends up being out for longer than we all expect uh, right now, or, you know, somebody else is out and Lugo stays in the rotation or, you know, everything stays as is but somebody else tweaks something or whatever um you know i just wonder if wheeler is thinking huh you know i could maybe do that the back-to-back day thing seems to be something that isn't really a problem uh, well yeah but wheeler i don't know wheeler seems more resistant to that stuff and i yeah an outside yeah. observation i don't know that you know from anything firsthand, but it just seems that way. So,
3: yeah, I'd I love mean,
2: I'd love to see him try because I think it could be something that he could do well with.
3: And again, it comes down to like he has the stuff to be a shutout relief pitcher if he, you know, if he can work on things in Vegas and he and if he approaches it with the right mentality of you know this may be my shot in the major leagues for the time being. Um, I think that he could be a shutout reliever given his ability. Um and his propensity to throw too many pitches might, you know, make him better suited to throw fewer innings at a time.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's uh I don't know. I hope we get to see it because I don't think he's a completely lost cause as a major oh, league absolutely pitcher. No.
3: Yeah. I don't um, think so either.
2: But yeah, uh I guess Well, I guess we can just talk about Conforto at this point. (laughs) It's kind of been like, you know, uh, uh, putting it off. But um, I can't remember the last time a a player came back, not only early, but significantly earlier than the Mets injury uh, timetable.
3: A month early. And it's like, and it's one of those things where it's like, you know, on one hand, you want to be happy. Like, I am elated, obviously. But then on the other hand, it's like, just as a Mets fan, you're you're conditioned to wait for the other shoe to drop. Because it's like, did they really rush him? Even though all evidence seems to say that they didn't. Um, I, I don't see any compelling evidence to believe that the Mets have rushed him back too soon. Or that he's putting himself at risk by going out there at this point. But it's still, you know, as a Mets fan, it's always in the back of your mind, wait for the other shoe to drop, wait for the other shoe to drop.
2: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, first two at-bats today, uh, you know, he strikes out on three pitches, um, grounds into a double play the next time up. And for anybody who was looking to jump to conclusions, that might have been like, oh, see, he should have gone on a rehab assignment or whatever. and
3: He's not ready.
2: Yeah, and I've I've really tried um, to stay – not a hundred percent off, but not look at Twitter so much during a game because it can just be very. It can be a lot of things, but it can be very distracting and uh, sort of a black hole of baseball negativity. When the, the in thing the goes moment wrong.
3: takes are you know never, and I'm I'm guilty of it. Everyone is. I mean, I don't I don't I don't tend to watch baseball and tweet, but like I I'm not going to pretend I'm not guilty of some of those tweets in my brain <laughs> while the game is happening, you know, it's really, really easy in the emotion of a game to get too caught up in one, you know, one instance in one game of a 162 game season, um, as evidenced by the fact that Yankees fans booed John Carlos Stanton the
2: other day. Yeah. Oh yeah. That is that uh, such a great moment. Uh, <laughs>
3: That's the epitome of the one game hot take.
2: Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, But, yeah, Conforto goes, you know, he has those two at-bats, and you're like, all right, maybe you have a little doubt in your mind. And then he gets into a one-two count and hits an opposite field home run against Strasburg.
3: Oh, my God. It's so good. It's so good. I was so happy when I saw it. I didn't. I didn't actually see it because, unfortunately, day games during the week present a problem for a lot of us folks. But I saw it pop up on my phone and I got so excited. And uh, the best part, um, I think, about it was the, the press conference after the game when Cespedes said that he predicted that Conforto was going to hit a home run.
2: Yes. Yeah. I love it. And, and took credit. So like, Oh no, that, that's yeah. my home run. I called it. <laughs> yeah,
3: exactly. And it's just like, I don't know. It goes back to like how much I love cesspit too. And how much, I don't know. I just think like there's, there's, this is going to sound corny, but like, there's something new. There's a new feeling and it's like a feeling of some, like a, like a team chemistry feeling. I think that maybe wasn't necessarily there before. And I can't, I mean, it's impossible to, to pin that sort of thing on a manager or, you know, anything. But I think that just like, I think a fresh start with the new regime has really helped. And I think that like some sort of like culture change that I can't quite pin down at the moment has occurred. And I think it's been a positive one.
2: Yeah. And, you know, uh, it'll play itself out so much over the next few months, but we heard a lot of complaints about bringing back the same guys uh you know especially the off season that preceded this one but both yeah. off seasons you know you heard a lot about that but it seems like the guys who are new are significant yeah in that regard uh you know Todd Fraser seems like somebody whose personality makes uh some sort of difference in the clubhouse Adrian Gonzalez has at times been you know Um, I guess criticized is the right word for, for being too outspoken or too honest. I don't think I've seen or heard anything. Uh,
3: Yeah, no, I haven't heard anything negative about Gonzalez's clubhouse presence. And I mean, it seems like Frazier has had an immediate impact. And can we talk about the salt and pepper thing for a minute? Oh yeah.
2: Yeah. Of course. (laughs)
3: Because that was like a, I think that was a Frazier thing or at least like he was one of the masterminds behind that. But I mean, people are, people will hate on it, but I love it. Um, <laughs> I think it's great. Um, I love when teams, you know, show their excitement day to day. And it just shows that like, even if you don't love the idea itself, um, I think that's kind of irrelevant because I love the fact that they seem to be having fun every day. And I think that that's what matters. If they love it, then I love it.
2: Right. Yeah. And you know, something that is their own, uh, cause teams have that sort of thing, right? That you got a big hit, you, you and your teammates engage in whatever. Um, and we've seen a lot of variations of it. So, you know, to have something that's, that's original, um, and something that they all seem to be on board with, I I guess, you you know, in a week from now, if the record is flipped from, from where it is Mm, right now, maybe, maybe this all feels different, but right now it, to your point you know it just kind of seems like everybody's on board uh you yeah. know the, the new guys it's always easy if you're new to to maybe be a little more enthusiastic and and all that because because it's just a new place you're around new people all that you know um, mm-hmm. but I think a lot of the guys who were here last year were like oh that that wasn't fun <laughs>
3: you know yeah right
2: so uh, not that Just as an example, not that Travis Darnell or Kevin Ploiecki have ever been guys to be like, oh, no, I need to start, you know, like I'm not I'm not a backup. And neither one of them has ever come off like that. But to have two of them just be totally on board with, hey, you know, Mickey Calloway is going to decide to either play me or play him uh, based on logical information. And I'm on board with that and he is too. And, and that works, you know, that, that small example of it, I think is, uh, I don't know. It's a positive indicator. I'd love to see Jay Bruce have that attitude about like taking some practice at first base. (laughs) So would I for
3: sure, for sure. Um, and I mean, it's been mentioned a little bit that, you know, the, that Jay Bruce saying things like first base isn't on my radar is, you know, it's a tough line to toe because it's partially like it could come off as and I think a lot of fans have taken it this way is like, I'm not interested in playing for base and, you know, not a team player, etc. But part of it could also be, you know, you don't want you don't want to send that message to the guy that's playing first space right now that, you know, I'm going to take your place and I'm OK with that. Um, so it's, it's kind of a tough line to toe between like you know, whatever Mickey Calloway decides to do, I'm on board and, you know, kind of the idea of sharing playing time and a meritocracy and all of that, but also not trying to show up guys or, you know, step on toes and things like that. It's a clubhouse environments are complicated.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And those, you know, those guys, uh, they've both been around for a while. I, I come back to this all the time. Jay Bruce, I think of him as being older than me, even though he isn't. Oh my goodness.
3: (laughs) I, I I always say that Jay Bruce is gonna look thirty two his entire life. Like he looked thirty two when he was sixteen and he's gonna look thirty two when he's like fifty.
2: <laughs> that that could very well be the case. But uh <laughs> but the yeah perpetual he's
3: perpetual dad.
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sort of um oh god, what was the relief pitcher? Uh, Scott Ashison.
3: Uh, Scott Ashison. Yeah. My 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 parents and I called him Grandpappy Ash.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And he, you know, it it fit. Uh, So maybe that isn't his future at some point. But Yeah. But yeah. um, What was I going to say with Bruce? Oh, right. So he just he's been in the major leagues for a long time. Adrian Gonzalez has been for a very long time. Um, You know, and Bruce is probably cognizant of Gonzalez is sort of uh, without having gone in depth on this. He's sort of like borderline Hall of Fame.
1: Player. Yeah. You know,
2: yeah. I mean he's obviously not at that stage of his career now, but he was a really great hitter for a really long time. For uh, sure. You know, and obviously Albert Pujols will be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Um Absolutely. And Gonzalez was in a tier that it wasn't like outrageous. Pujols was the best for a long time. Right. But, but those guys weren't like that far apart when you were looking at some of the best first basemen so bruce i think is aware of that and and knows that and is not going to say anything to piss anybody off it's much better to have fans think that you're you know uh why doesn't he want to try it uh it's better to have that than to have anybody else who's actually in the room be pissed off yeah yeah
3: and I mean Adrian Gonzalez as much as I've criticized that signing it's I mean, and I still do to a certain extent um, he's looked to his credit he's looked not completely washed which is nice yeah he's had some hits he's had a walk or two um, he I'm still looking for the home runs we'll see if those if those come at any point um, but you know um, it's still, it, like it's, it hasn't been great, but it's been better than I thought, I guess is the, is the best I can say about that.
2: Right. Yeah. No, I mean, the average and the on-base percentage through, uh, you know, right now it's 21 plate appearances, but they're both good. You know, he's hitting 294, gotten on base at a 429 clip. That's great. It. There just hasn't been any power there. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think he has he, the one double, uh, is it for the extra base hits, he ma- he makes Wilmer Flores look fast. Oh, my uh,
3: goodness.
2: Yes. People on opening day when he didn't score from first.
3: Yeah, that was bad. People was were like, w-
2: uh, in real life, uh, P- Mets fans were, were like, what, really? He, he's really not? He can't do that?
3: Yeah, yeah. And it's like, and uh,
2: I, yeah, no, he, he cannot. <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah. And I mean – that reminded me of another like theme that I've seen early in this season, which I think has been good, although we don't have a lot of team speed to make it a super positive thing to utilize it as much as I would like. But the Mets have been really aggressive on the base paths early in the season. Um, and I like what I've seen. I like that change that I've seen. Um, they've been mostly smart about it, um, aside from, you know, Agon being, you know, not making it <laughs> home. For that, and you know, Reyes got caught stealing. Um, in yeah, in a bad game, spot.
2: Yeah. In a
3: bad spot. But other than those two specific instances, I think that the Mets have been pretty smart on the base paths. I remember specifically when um, Cespedes took that extra base on the pitch in the dirt. He was like really heads up on that. Ahmed Rosario has, you know, obviously he goes first to third better than anyone else on the team. Um, it's been a nice it's been a nice change of pace, you know, ha, not to make a pun about that, but it's been a nice change of pace to see, you know, the Mets being aggressive on the base paths and being for the most part intelligent on the base paths, which while we don't have a lot of team speed, um, raw team speed outside of basically Rosario um, and, and Reyes a little bit, um, it's, it's nice that our intelligence on the base paths and aggression to an extent um, it, when it's warranted, can make up for that a little bit, the lack of speed.
2: Yeah. And Estruel Cabrera has been a a part of that. Keith has been all about him, uh, you know, praising him for that. And I'd like to say uh, I may have given up my uh, presidency of the Hansel Robles defenders club, (laughs) (laughs) but I feel like Cabrera got like a little bit too much hate over the winter and coming into the season. And You know, he's not um, defensively a shortstop anymore. And I I know that there was sort of the awkward, you know, did he, didn't he request a trade? Um, Yeah. You know, he didn't want to play second base and that. But that's all in the past. And, you know, just looking at what he's done as a hitter over the last couple of years, um, this dude is somewhat of an underrated signing. Uh, One of Alderson's better free agent signings that he's made in his whole time with the team. Uh, you know, this is a guy who uh, you know he's not going to lead the team in anything, maybe, but he's been um <laughs> like well above league average hitter uh, with very, very similar lines the last two years. Um, and you know, he's gotten off to a good start as a hitter and and as Keith has been pointing out, uh, you know, very smart on the basis,
3: yeah, I one hundred percent agree with you, and I've always been. Um, And I was a pretty strident um, as Cabrera defender, um, even when, you know, the controversy or even if if you want to use a strong of a word as that went down with him, you know, speaking to the media about his frustration about the position change. Because lots of people, you know, tried to call it a hissy fit or whatever you want to say about that. But I, I at the time I was very much like, you know what, they didn't tell him. He was changing positions and it was clear that that's what frustrated him I think he would have happily played second base if in his rehab assignment they said to him listen we really would we really think it would help the team if you could take some reps at second um, I think he would have happily done so and even after you know the one incident he never spoke another word about it again he even apologized he went out he played a good second base at the end of 2017 and he's continued to do so and he hasn't really missed a beat coming into 2018. And I, I agree. I think he's a, an extremely underrated player on the Mets. Um, I think that, you know, giving him regular rest with the presence of Flores on the team um, who can play the right side of the infield defensively much better than the left side of the infield. I think that, you know, giving cabs a regular rest given concerns about his knees and such like that, that could really help him be a really good productive player in his Presumably, his final year with the Mets.
2: Yeah, and you never know, uh, you know, way that things play out. If he maybe ends up sticking around a little bit longer, but even if this is it, if it's a three-year run and he just kind of does what he did the last two years, um, you you can't complain about it, you know.
3: (laughs) No, I certainly would not.
2: It's a good guy to have around. Um, So I guess that makes for a decent segue into. Uh, We didn't get any emails, but a few people were kind enough to give us some questions on Twitter today when we asked. And two of them were about another infielder who has gotten a couple of starts. Um, He's he's been around for a while. uh, Mm. Jose Reyes. (laughs) So uh, I guess we'll start. Kurt uh, tweeted, any concern that management has in place a playing time mandate for Reyes? Um, You know, I've seen people speculate that. Uh, not just Kurt with the question, but people speculating that maybe the Mets made some sort of promise to him over the winter that, hey, you know, we'd love to have you back. Uh, you know, we're not going to pay you all that much money by Major League Baseball players standards, um, but we're going to get you in there and make sure that you play. Do you think that's something that they actually agreed to with him?
3: I have a strong belief that Yes. <laughs> um, and I think that it's, and it's not just based on you know wild speculation out of nowhere. It's based on the fact that the Mets have a history of doing this, um, and the Mets have a history of you know deferring to veteran players. And a lot of that was a criticism of Terry Collins, and to be sure, that is a warranted criticism of Terry Collins. But the the fact is, is that even though there's been a um, managerial change, which I think the majority of Mets fans approve of. Um, the front office has not changed and the, you know, the culture of that has not changed. Um, and I think that, you know, Mickey Calloway will bring a lot of positive change. Um, but there's only, you know, so much he can do. And to a certain extent, his hands have to be tied at some point. Um, and I think that, you know, these handshake under the table, handshake agreements with veteran players, I think that that's a thing that, you know, hasn't gone away. Um, I think we, we saw it with Adrian Gonzalez, um, a signing I criticized despite his good start. And I'm obviously thoroughly pleased with his good start. But um, I think that, you know, they didn't have to give him a major league deal and they did. And they made him the everyday first baseman. I mean, part of their hand was forced by Dominic Smith, not being injured to start the year. But, you know, I think it was pretty clear that they, you know, that they got him to come here because he was going to play. And I think that the same is true of Reyes as well, that they promised him some starts a couple times a week. But what mostly frustrates me about it is that it's not so much that Reyes is playing, although I disagree that he's playing in the first place. It's that they're sitting Rosario for him, which drives me nuts because <laughs> I think that you need to put Rosario out there nearly every day if you want to see what you've got in him. You can't shield him from pitchers like Strasbourg if you want him to be your everyday shortstop for many years to come.
2: Yeah, and that, I I completely agree. I want Rosario out there every day. Uh, I would have preferred that he was out there today, even with, with Strasburg pitching. Um, I'm curious to see how it plays out, you know, even if they want to stick to some kind of regular playing time for Reyes. Um, you know, as the season goes on, do they shift that over to, all right, that start is going to be at second base this week, um, you know, based on who the opposing pitchers are or based on when Cabrera needs rest, as, as you mentioned a couple of minutes ago. Uh, and, you know, do they work Rosario in where they're saying early in the season, uh, you know, we, we want to make him, or we want to make sure he gets rest. Uh, and that seems to be something they want to do for everybody. So, you know, do they have Rosario avoid these ace level, you know, top 10, top 20 pitchers in oh. baseball? in April and May, but then do they start to work him in against those guys as I might be overthinking all of this, but (laughs) Mm -hmm. if you're trying to rationalize what they're doing, you know, is it sort of like he conquered the minor leagues? uh, You know, we want him to conquer the bottom 80%, if we can phrase it that way. Of major, sure. of major league starting pitching, and then when that has all gone really well, then we graduate him to the point that he's going to face Scherzer, Strasburg, Kershaw, um, you know, Greinke if he has his stuff together, Bumgarner, those kinds of guys who, you know, are, are probably the toughest pitchers for anybody to face. I have no idea. That might be way more thought than has been put into it. It might just be that Reyes needs to start, and that's that.
3: Uh <laughs> Yeah. Yeah,
2: but there's, if that is sort of the structure of it, and if that is how it plays out, um, it's still not what I would prefer. But at least it would seem like there was a reason for it,
3: right? And I mean, if if that is the reason, and I think it's, I mean, I think it's plausible. Um, and if that is the reason, I still, you know, I still see a flaw in that line of logic because if. You're, so your alternative to that, if it really is they're quote unquote easing him in, then the alternative is that you are in a in potentially the heat of a like you know a race. If the Mets you know continue to play as well as they're playing, we like to hope they'll be in some sort of race, whether that be the division or the wild card. More realistically, but like the alternative is then you're facing you know Kershaw or Strasburg in a game that has really. Like you know, is has immediate implications, um, and you're facing them in mid-season form. So it's kind of like, do you re- like that? Almost feels like you're throwing him right into the deep end right away. You're not easing him in very much, right? Because then the like the the perceived importance, even though I know that each game out of 162 mathematically matters exactly the same, but the perceived mattering of the games increase as you go on if you remain competitive. So it's kind of like the alternative is if you're a team that has, you know, desire to make the playoffs, then you're throwing him into a situation against a Strasbourg when he's potentially in midseason form in a game that has implications for the postseason. So is that really a better alternative is my question, I suppose.
2: Yeah. Yeah. All of which is a completely fair point. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh But that leads us to our own Dave Capobianco's uh, tweet. Uh I'll let you go first here. I will blank if Jose Reyes starts another game at shortstop over Rosario.
3: <laughs> I will blank. Oh, my God. I have to think of things that are fit to say on, on air.
2: <laughs> there you go. Uh, um, I can do it. My, my simple one is uh, – and sorry, I know I just said I would let you go first, but mine no, is go. I will not be surprised. That's my fill in the blank.
3: Yeah, um, my fill in the blank is that I'll I'll make a, a virus guy pseudonym on Twitter.
2: Nice. <laughs> I think it, I think it was I'll Jeff
3: full virus guy. I'll go full virus guy. On yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if starts another.
2: Game. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I think it was Jeff Paternostro who tweeted at some point today. Like by May 1st, we will all be Reyes virus guy.
3: Yeah, no, I, I'm already like, I'm about 90% there at this point. I mean, like, I, it's okay. You know what? I'm not, this makes me seem like so much of a Reyes hater. I'm not like super, but, I, 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 but it's frustrating that he's playing over Rosario. And it's to me, it's frustrating that they're continuing to bury Wilmer Flores, which I think is a side effect of this. That it's clear that Reyes is above Flores on the totem pole which I don't think is necessarily warranted or deserved. Um, I think that, like, you know, they continue to say, like Mickey Calloway said in the off season like or right at the beginning of the season, I can't remember which, whether it was like right before spring training ended or right after the season started, he said, we're going to get Fulhez at-bats. And they, I mean, they, he started one game. Um, he's gotten a few other at-bats, but Reyes has played more than him.
2: Yeah. Yeah yeah and um it's a good point with Flores, and you know, uh, I, I guess it, it, right now it's not the worst problem in the world to have, but
3: no, it's not, and we're I feel like we are complaining about like things that like the 2017 Mets would kill to complain
2: about. Right. Yeah, yeah. Which which healthy player should play?
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: As opposed to well, there aren't any infielders, so Jose Reyes is the infielder and that's just the way is it's going to be. baseman every day? Yeah. Yeah. I mean between uh, and I love him, but between David Wright, uh Flores breaks his nose on a on a ball he fouls off his own face. Um you know, Cabrera, Cabrera was relatively healthy. That that was a uh, never mind. Mistake on that one. Uh who else? I feel like are there are other infielders that were hurt.
3: Oh, um, TJ Rivera had to get Tommy John surgery. Yes. And he's still yep. hurt now. Yeah. And he's the one that would be here. Like, I think, you know, he's, he would have been here instead of Philip Evans. I bet he's the one that would have been here. Um, and if, and you have to wonder, I mean, maybe this is too, too much of a stretch, but to me, you have to wonder if the Mets sign Jose Reyes, if TJ Rivera is healthy. I don't know. I think it's an open question.
2: Yeah yeah uh, So with that, I guess uh, we, we get to our last question for this mm-hmm. week um, from um, there's a Twitter username, so I'm just gonna go with Zad. Zad, uh, what's and, up Zad? Yeah, Zad. Why not? Uh, so after the first six games, do your projections and expectations for this Mets club change?
3: hmm that's a good question um i think i don't think they change so much as i feel that my irrational opening day optimism is vindicated (laughs) there you go like like you feel you always feel like really irrationally optimistic on opening day no matter like how good or bad your team is you're like oh we're going to the world series because anything is possible And I always like, even though like as a Mets fan, like I'm, I try to, I try so hard. The rational part of my brain tries so hard to temper expectations every year because I know that I'm always going to get disappointed. (laughs) Um, But, you know, this year I couldn't hold it back and I was like, we're pretty good. Um, And I think that I'm trying to remember like, like what I thought during spring training as far as like the number of wins. I think that I like was thinking somewhere in the mid 80s. And I don't think that has changed, but what I, but I, what has changed is that I expected at the beginning of the season on opening day to say mid eighties and then immediately tank that projection down to like 75 on like day three, but that has not occurred. So if you want to call that a change, then we'll call it a change.
2: <laughs> yeah, no. And it, you know, this goes back. Um, this is something that maybe will have a little more meaning if they have a great month of April, Uh, But it goes back to, you know, the top of the episode talking about that winning streak from uh, April 2015. Um, Yeah. You know, the the most encouraging thing is that those wins are in the bank. So even if you thought 85 wins was maybe like uh, the median point of of where they would end up. Right. Uh, Yeah. They've got 5.9% of those wins already and we're, you know. Yeah, We're going into go. the, the, the second week um, of the season since the season started on Thursday. Uh, you know, that's not nothing. And, and yeah. So much of it, you know, they can go, they could win five, ten more games in a row and have everybody extremely excited. They could lose five games in a row uh, and, and then be in a spot where everybody's saying, see, I told you they're just a 500 team or, you know, whatever, but you can't take the wins away. And I think that sure. that is the biggest thing. So, you know, I am with you on opening day. If you can't have that feeling on opening day, I I just honestly don't know why you watch. Um,
3: yeah. I think it's like that. If I ever don't feel that feeling on opening day, I kind of feel like that. I know I need to take a break or something because that, that unbridled optimism and childlike excitement about the season is the best part about baseball.
2: Yeah, and, you know, you have... Uh, if you had a, the, something like what the Marlins had done or what the Rays had done... Yeah,
3: you, rough. You,
2: you got you to gotta pass. You yeah. <laughs> you, you should expect the worst. You shouldn't be excited. Uh, you know, that's fine. But if your team is even maybe potentially in the mix, at least for one day, buy in and just be like, all right, I'm gonna cheer for everybody. Uh everything is awesome. And then I can come back to reality in two days if I want to, you know.
3: Yeah. We're a first place team for a day, you know? And it's and actually we're a first place team right now. Heck yeah. Yeah. Um but it's like I don't know, I I like I said, I try to fight this every year. I try to temper my expectations, because especially after, especially in the aftermath of last season and how hard that was, that was just that was just a train wreck. And like for me, like, you know, for Mets fans who came off of, you know, pretty high expectations going into the season, because I mean, I know that 2016 didn't end how we all hoped, but, you know, we still went out on a note that made you think this team would be competitive for at least another year or two. Um, and so, you know, like, and having that come crashing down so, so quickly, it, it makes it hard to like build yourself back up again, but you, as a baseball fan, you can't help it. It's, it's built into your DNA. It's, it's just the way it is Unbridled optimism on opening day, always.
2: Yeah. So, all right. Well, uh, you know, we're, we're getting to do this on a, particularly high note uh, and that's fun yeah and
3: only one loss in six games
2: right and we have the rare friday off day which uh you know is a unique time Uh, the goal is always to have the podcast up late in the week um schedules and lives dictate all sorts of things but for those of you listening uh a, a friday off day is not fun but it kind of works out nicely for us that this podcast yeah. should be timely. Nothing should happen between now and the next game. If uh, something
3: happens, it's probably not a good thing.
2: <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 I know. So, uh, yeah, it works out well. Um, but yeah, we'll be back next week. Uh, you can find Allison on Twitter at petite PhD. Uh, you can find me, Chris McShane at Chris McShane on Twitter. Uh, Brian, has the week off again but i still recommend you go find him on twitter if you haven't done so already at brian needs a nap uh and uh yeah we'll be back next week let's go mets let's go mets uh, and yeah thank you guys for listening and hopefully the entire season is this much fun to talk about
3: yeah that'd be great